Today is the first week of a new series that we're going to be walking through, the book of Colossians. I'm excited to walk through this book with you between now and probably the end of May. It's, it's exciting to me because the book uh, is just so encouraging. It's so full of, of rich theological concepts, but ultimately it's like we're getting a glimpse into the Apostle Paul and his colleague Timothy and really their heart for the church in Colossae. The Apostle Paul and his best friend Timothy, his, his ministry partner, have never actually met this church. Now, that's super interesting. That's why I mention it, because they, usually when Paul writes a letter, he's writing a letter to a church that he himself planted and that he then put another pastor and a group of elders uh, in charge of that church. But in this case, with Colossians, he's never actually met this church, nor has Timothy, his co-worker. They've only received a report from one of their buddies and co-workers, Epaphras, who scholars think was essentially the initial evangelist that actually brought the gospel into the area of the city of Colossae. Now, Colossae is essentially a day's walk away from the city of Ephesus and the city of Laodicea. It's walking inland about a day's walk away from those two major biblical cities. And it's, it's really interesting and, and actually quite fascinating because we actually don't know much about the city of Colossae. And the reason we don't know much is because it's never actually been excavated. You see, Ephesus and Laodicea have both been excavated and they've explored sort of what was behind all of those cities. What were those cities possibly like? And Colossae, we haven't actually done that yet. But we do know a lot about the area the area called the Lycus, Ly, Lycus Valley, sorry. It was predominantly, we know, Colossae, a Gentile city, but it also had a significant Jewish population to it too. So it was ruled by the Romans. It was predominantly pagan. It was predominantly Gentile in nature, but there was actually, according to Josephus, a Jewish historian, a large group of Jewish believers in the area as well. Now, because this was a Roman area, uh, a Greco-Roman area, there was a lot of Greek gods that were worshipped out of Laodicea, out of Ephesus and, uh, and Colossae. And the main gods that came from that, that were worshipped in that area was namely Zeus, Apollo, and Artemis. And we believe that Artemis might have been one of the main gods of Laodicea. And Artemis is an interesting god. They were associ he was associated with essentially human needs that were related to food, health, pleasure, and nature. And so the people would have believed that these gods, Zeus, Apollo, and specifically Artemis, uh, that, that Artemis would have provided for them everything that they possibly needed in life. Now, Colossians, the church, was a fairly new church. It was like a brand new, fresh plant. And one of the leaders in the church in Colossae was a man named Philemon. Now, Paul would have met Philemon during his time planting the church in Ephesus. And as we can see in the New Testament, Paul also wrote an actual letter directly to Philemon. 
the book of Philemon. Now, the book of Ephesus and Philemon are thought to have been essentially written all from Paul's time in prison in Ephesus. And they're essentially all interconnected. So the book of Ephesians, the book of Philemon, and the book of Colossians all have a lot of similarities and are somewhat interconnected. And so you're going to hear similar theology coming from Paul's letter to the Colossians that you would also recognize from his letter to the Ephesians. Now, as I already said, it's believed that Paul wrote all of these letters during his time in Ephesus in prison. And so he's been in prison in Ephesus. So I want you to picture in your mind that Paul is writing this letter from prison. He's probably quite malnourished. He's probably uh, not had very good sleep. He's probably been beaten and struggling to stay healthy. Uh, in prison, in, these, in biblical times, they didn't feed you. They didn't care for you at all. And so that's probably what Timothy was actually doing, was bringing Paul food and carrying, caring for Paul's basic needs. Now, um, we'll see in the book of Colossians that he also wrote that letter, this letter along with Timothy. And that's why we think Timothy was uh, meeting his needs. And there was also another man named Epaphras, and we saw that in the passage that was read in the, in the sermon intro. And we believe that Epaphras uh, actually could very well be in prison with Paul at the same time, uh, up on similar charges of disturbing the peace with the gospel. So Paul, he hears of a new church plant, and he wants to encourage them from his prison cell. That is essentially the setting that we have in the book of Colossians. Now, there's no evidence that there are any actual issues theologically, morally, or ethically that Paul wants to address with this church. It would seem that he actually just simply wants to encourage them and to help them get kind of a healthy start as a church community. Now, in the opening verses that we will be dealing with today, these verses are super important for the church to hear. Not just for the church in Colossae to hear, but I actually think for the church today to hear. And the prayer that the Apostle Paul prays gives us a glimpse into what the Christian life is to be like. Now, the opening of this letter simply says in verse 1, this letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and from our brother Timothy. We are writing to God's holy people in the city of Colossae who are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. May God our Father give you grace and peace. Now, this is a typical opening that Paul would usually use uh, in most of his letters, pointing out a couple different things. One, his authority as one chosen by the will of God to be an apostle. And basically what Paul is saying is that this letter, this letter should be read and it's important to read it to the church. And it's important because God has chosen him in this specific role as an apostle. It's not something that he actually chose, that he actually wanted. It's something that God wanted. And he includes Timothy as one of the authors as well. And Timothy has probably, as I said, been supporting Paul in prison with his basic needs. 
And then Paul moves on to his typical Pauline rant on thanksgiving. Paul is always talking about giving thanks to God. And he says in verse 3, we always pray for you and we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For we have heard your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all of God's people. Verse 5, which has come from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. You have had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. I want you to notice something about Paul's thanksgiving here. Paul is giving thanks to God. Not specifically to the people. He gives thanks for the work that God is doing in the people. He's heard of their faith in Christ and their love for all of God's people, the passage says. And this love can only be motivated by God through the work of his Holy Spirit. And so the Apostle Paul says this love comes from the hope that they have received of a future with God. And this hope was given to them by hearing and receiving the good news of Jesus. Now, Paul says that this good news has been going out all over the world. Listen to what he says in verse 6. He says, this same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It's bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives. Just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. He says that this good news is going out all around the world, but it's not just going out. This news is, is doing something very specific. It's changing lives. And then Paul points out, it's not just changing people's lives. It's actually changing this church's lives. This is a key thing to understanding Paul and his understanding of the gospel. It always, Paul believes, the gospel always produces change. It's never static. When someone receives and believes the gospel that Paul has given to them or someone else has given to them, he says that you will see a distinct difference in that person, a distinct difference in that body, that church. And more importantly, that church will make a distinct difference in its community. Now, all of this is because of God's wonderful grace, the passage says. He says, the grace that we receive from Jesus Christ on the cross. Essentially, what that grace is, is the grace that we've received through forgiveness and reconciliation from the Father. Now, He's told Paul and Timothy about the love, Epaphras, who's giving Paul and Timothy this information, has told Paul and Timothy about the love for others that this church in Colossae has. And that this love, it comes from the Holy Spirit, not from any human effort. You see, the kind of love that the Bible talks about, we actually can't produce as human beings. It's impossible. We're too self-centered. We're too engulfed in sin. But the kind of love that comes from the Holy Spirit, it's, it's the kind of love that the Bible talks about. And it cannot happen with human effort. Now, again, Paul always pointing us toward Jesus and being transformed into the people of love through the power of Jesus. 
notices uh, just how loving this community actually is. Now, I also want you to notice something. Paul uses communal language here. It literally uh, means to him that this church, not just the individual people, but the church itself as the body of Christ has been given the ability to love others in a way that only the Spirit can give. Paul always talks in communal language. You can't find this kind of radical love alone. It's always in community and it's always through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, let's jump down to the next section where Paul actually moves into a prayer. And this, this prayer um, is, is actually amazingly powerful. Paul's prayer gives us a glimpse into what Paul sees as the essential needs for the church to live their lives, what he calls in Christ. In Christ means to live a Jesus-centered life, a life that is forgiven, a life that loves others, a life that represents the heart of God to the world. And so Paul prays that they would be given complete knowledge of God's will and for spiritual wisdom and understanding. He says in verse 9, So we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. Paul's praying that they would be given complete knowledge of God's will and for spiritual wisdom and understanding. He sees these two things as essential to Christian living. Not just individual living, but as the church of Jesus Christ, living in community as the church. And Jesus wants his church to have a complete knowledge of his will. Now, God's will is for his, for his church, essentially, to live, the, the, their, to live their lives in him and for him. If you jump over to the book of 2 Corinthians... We also see Paul writing here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15. He said that he died, he, Jesus, died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. Now, this is absolutely huge. And something that I'm not sure that we completely embrace in today's North American church culture. To live your life in Christ by knowing his will has to do with what the center of our life actually is. What is the center of our priorities? What is it that drives us forward? Now, I think that often we separate our spiritual life from our daily routine of life. And God's will is that you would not live your life for yourself or for your family. That's right, folks. God's will is that you would not live your life for yourself or even prioritize your family over him. It's that you would live your life completely for him. Now, he wants us to merge our entire life 
into him. And this means that you live for him in absolutely everything you do, not just in moments of your day. So essentially, it's like we have our spiritual life where we spend time doing devotions and reading our Bible, and then we kind of like shut that off, and then we have our everyday life where we're like, you know, being a dad or being a mom or, or an employee, and we're, we're kind of, we're working, we're caring for our kids, we're going to hockey practice, we're doing all of these different things, and we kind of disconnect these two lives, and then at the end of the day, we might jump back in and reconnect to the spiritual life. But this isn't what God actually wants for our lives, and it's not what Paul wants for this church in Colossae. He wants us to merge our entire life into him, and that means that you live your life and everything you do, every moment, is lived in Christ and for Christ. And your life, he says in the passage, he says, then the way that you will live will always honor and please the Lord. Your life will please God and it'll produce good fruit. And you'll continually draw closer to God. You'll know God better and better each day when you merge the two lives together and you just live what Paul says is in Christ Jesus. Now, I actually think the main, the, reason, the main reason the church today often doesn't represent Jesus well is because we do this separation of our everyday life from our church life. Now, you've got to remember, this is not just about individualism, doing your devotions and things like that. This is actually about functioning in community. And Paul is always talking in community. He's not writing this book to an individual. He's writing it to an entire church. Your church life is your entire life. And we just don't live that way. You don't go to church, according to the Apostle Paul. You are the church. Now, Paul goes on after this to pray that they would be strengthened. Listen to what he says. He says, we also pray in verse 11 that you will be stretched strengthened with all his glorious power so you'll have all the endurance and patience that you need. Paul prays for this church to be given the ability to endure and be patient because they're essentially going to need it. You see, as Christians, we need the ability to endure and to be patient in our lives. The world won't like how you've merged your entire life into Jesus being the center of it. It's different and it produces good fruit and you'll grow to a better knowledge of the creator of the heavens and the earth. But you see, the enemy will tempt you to return back to living for yourself rather than for Jesus. And so Paul says that we need to be filled with joy and thanksgiving. Paul goes on to pray that we would be full of joy and thanksgiving toward the Father. Because he's given us an inheritance, he says, that belongs to all of those who live in the light. A life that is lived for self is a, a life lived in the darkness, according to the Apostle Paul. And it receives no inheritance. But a life lived for Jesus in Christ, in the light, is a life full of fruitfulness. 
Because we now live in this light, or because the church in Colossae, Paul says, now lives in this light, we have been moved from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's Son. He says in verse 13, For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear Son, who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Because we now live in the light, we now have the opportunity to live our lives in God's kingdom here on earth. Now, folks, this is all rooted in the fact that Jesus, the Son, purchased our freedom and forgave us of our sins. You see, the life that Paul wants this new group of believers to live is a life that is focused on living within the community of light, the church. The kingdom of God that Jesus ushered into this world through his death and his resurrection. The reason Paul prays for this church in Colossae, the the things behind what Paul prays, they're because Paul has been given the knowledge of God's will, and so he knows how that transforms your life. Paul has been given spiritual wisdom and understanding, and he wants them to experience the things that he himself has experienced in Christ. Paul sees this kind of Christ-centered life as the key to living in the light, the key to living a fruitful life that actually makes a difference, that actually transforms you from the inside out. And he wants all of his churches to live as one body, one unified people who have been transformed into the likeness of Christ. You see, a life in Christ, a life that no longer separates their church life from their everyday life. That's what Paul is praying for with this church in Colossae. And that's what Paul wants for us. So let me ask you, does your life lack joy? Does your life lack fruitfulness? Do you feel kind of stuck in your daily routines that essentially leave you feeling empty? You see, odds are you're living your life in the kingdom of darkness and you don't even know it. You might actually be professing Christ as your Lord and Savior. You might be a Christian, but you might actually, because of the separation of the two lives, you might actually be living most of your life in the kingdom of darkness, not in the kingdom of God. God's kingdom is where God's effective will is done. And his will is that we would all believe and live our lives centered in Jesus. And so when a community of believers are living their whole lives for Jesus, that is where God's kingdom lies. If you want purpose in your life, come over to the light. If you want joy in your life, do life with others that are also living in the light. Ask God to help you to merge your life into his. To help you to notice that you've separated these things and that you don't just go to church, that you live life as the church. 
That's Paul's prayer for this new church in Colossae. And it's his prayer for all of those in the church today. When the church seeks God in all things, as a community, not just individually, as a community, as the body of Christ, they become people full of joy who bear fruit in all areas of their life. Your life, your whole life, pleases God. Even when life gets difficult, God gives peace to those who live their lives in him, through him, and with him. But it needs to be all areas of our lives. So as we go today, I want to ask you, I want to challenge you to reflect on how you prioritize your life. Are you living your life for Jesus? Is he your number one priority in all things? Or do you just give him a little bit of time here and there when you have the time? Are you more caught up in, in, in all the daily things of life and you often don't live your life in Christ? Are you living a life for Jesus? Are you seeking the knowledge of his will and a deeper understanding of who God is in all things? In other words, are you noticing God at work in every moment of your life? Because God is part of all things. He is in all things. And he is working through all situations. Are you separating your life with God and your daily activities of this life here on earth? If you are, ask God to reveal to you how you can make him your priority so that everything in your life will please God and bear fruit. I encourage you to ask for forgiveness and to receive his grace. I really think the church struggles to live forgiven and to live in his grace. So ask God to reveal those things to you in a rich, real way and spend time with others who are seeking the same life in Christ and ask to be formed by God in all of those things. What Paul prays for the church in Colossae is extremely powerful and it's life transforming and he's praying this also for you and me for us as a church evergreen paul wants us to be living transformed to be a church that lives its life centered in jesus i pray folks that we would be that kind of church I'm super excited to continue on. We'll be starting in verse 14 of chapter one, or verse 15, sorry, of chapter one. And I'm just excited. We've just gotten into the intro and look at how encouraged he's already, uh, already made us feel. And so I'm excited to teach the rest of this book. And I ask that you would just reflect on these things and ask God to show you the way toward the spiritual wisdom that he wants you to have toward knowing his will in community where you're living in Christ. Folks, we can be that kind of church. Will you pray with me? Father, as we go today, I pray that your Holy Spirit would convict our hearts 
of the things that we have separated from God. That we would no longer live our spiritual life, our church life, and our everyday life. That it would just, that, that Christ would just be saturated in who we are. That we wouldn't live our lives for ourselves, we wouldn't live our lives for, even for our family, but that we would live our lives for Jesus. And in living our lives for Jesus, that we would grow to know your will, that we would draw closer to you and live our lives in your presence. Fill us with your spiritual wisdom. Guide us in our lives. Forgive us, Lord, for the times that we stray away from this. And help us, Lord, to center our lives in you. Father, take our priorities and rearrange them and put you at the top of our priority list. Father, help us to do life together through your Son, Jesus Christ, and through the power and presence of your Holy Spirit. And may everything about our lives honor and glorify your holy name. In Jesus' name, amen. May you go in peace, and may the Lord transform you into his likeness this week.